I'm Natalie, and I'm here with my co-host, Kari. Welcome back to Instinct, a podcast about leadership one animal at a time. This week, we're talking about sea cows, also known as manatees. You'll hear all sorts of judgments, mostly from me, about these big creatures. And then we will both admit how soft our hearts are for these adorable herbivores. You might be thinking there is no way that we can associate leadership qualities with manatees. Challenge accepted. If you struggle with delegation or receiving help, well, these animals are for you. Let's do it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Kari. Good to see you. Good to see you. And I am excited slash a little underwhelmed to talk about manatees today. Great start. Great start. Underwhelm, everybody. The best <laughs> leadership impact to be underwhelmed. <laughs> I mean, some people might say, Kari, Natalie, why did you choose manatees to talk about on your podcast about animals that teach leaders how to do things. No <laughs> one literally ever has thought about manatees as an animal to aspire to or to take anything from. <laughs> we don't know that, but if you are out there and you have thought about manatees as a first animal when you think of leadership, please send us a message so that we can appreciate you and also ask you a lot of questions. <laughs> But I'm excited to see what we can extract from these sea cows because <laughs> I think it's kind of fun to look at unlikely places for nuggets of wisdom. And I know that your creative brain always comes up with something fascinating. So maybe you could kick us off and introduce us to the world of manatees. Uh, thank you. I will take that as a compliment. Okay, so manatees also known as the sea cow, which is just such a good name. I feel like I wore a sea cow color vibes today. Uh, are sea cows. They're these huge animals. They weigh like 800 or 1,000 pounds. They're like, I don't know, 12 to 15 feet long or something like that. They spend most of their time underwater, but they do need to breathe air. So they come up from the water every so often with their cute little manatee faces being like, hey, I'm a manatee. Every three to five minutes or so. And they mostly just eat plants. They're herbivores. They're like very non-aggressive, non-predatorial, big, hefty sea cows. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a starting point. They do live in various different types of water. So they're down to live in salt water and fresh water and brackish water. But, and I think most importantly, they prefer their water, salinity aside, very calm. <laughs> they do not hang out in the huge rushing waves of the ocean. They prefer warm, shallow, slow-moving waters. So hopefully that's all giving all of us a, a sense of the vibes of the manatee. <laughs> My metaphor brain is already going to cool. So they like an environment that's easy and exactly the right temperature with no impediments and no challenges. And even though they live mostly underwater, they also have to breathe air, which, you know, is 
challenging. I mean, there are some (laughs) animals that do that, right? Anyway, but I'm just imagining this kind of scenario. And then the other thing that you just kind of snuck right in there is that they have to come up and breathe with their cute little manatee faces. (laughs) And I was recently shopping for some mugs as like a swag for some event that I'm hosting. Mm -hmm. And I saw some on Etsy that is a series of mugs that say, cute, but Scorpio or cute, but anxious. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is kind of this thing was like cute, but manatee. <laughs> and instead of a, being a mug, it's more like one of those soup mugs where you're <laughs> intended to eat like a whole thing of soup in one mug, <laughs> but still you it's can like, hold it in your hands. <laughs> it's a good thing they have those little pug noses and they're really cute because, you it's know. true. There's something about humans kind of loving manatees despite, well, Let me just end that sentence. Humans love manatees. (laughs) Humans love protecting manatees. Humans love thinking about manatees as like kind of these cozy creatures, which I actually think is a pretty unique thing because considering everything I just mentioned about all their attributes, there's not that many animals in the animal kingdom with those qualities that were like, you know what that is? That is cute. (laughs) Usually like these big giant sea creatures were like, that's kind of scary. My human brain is like, stay away from that. And yet with the manatees, there's something quite attractive, it feels like, for our humans about these giant creatures. So, yeah, maybe I'll just offer one thing here. So some of the animals that we're covering in this podcast are super adaptable or super survivors or super fast, or they have something like this. Manatees are kind of none of these things. (laughs) (laughs) They're definitely not fast. They kind of just eat seagrass. As you mentioned, they are literally the cows of the sea, Uh like grazing on grass that I think I heard this from you, but they don't even really find the grass themselves. They just follow other fish who know where it is. And it's a both and. So, you know, if the grass is there, great. But also if they need some grass and they can't find it, they're resourceful in figuring out how to go get it, which is, as you mentioned, following giant schools of fish to where there's more plant matter, question mark. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they they're grazing on seagrass. They also like warm water, maybe like 68 degrees. They're pretty specific about this. Yeah. And, and as we have built our cities on springs where they typically go to, especially in the colder months where they need uh, warm water, it has become harder and harder for them to survive because they actually haven't figured out how to adapt very well. And not that they could figure it out with their brains, right? It is like what their bodies have evolved to need. Um, There's some stories, I guess, about the the manatees going to where there are electrical plants that I guess warm the water. So there's this kind of smart. Yeah, yeah. I think they're working on it, right? They're working on finding places where things go well. But it is fascinating that somehow, despite all of this they have completely captured the hearts and minds of humans and enrolled them somehow in, I mean, when I was a kid, it was like, save the manatees, right? And there's like manatee posters and manatee buttons and like people love manatees. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is like a a kind of guilt public service announcement kind of a thing where we recognize that like humans, like for most animals are a major cause of environmental destruction, which changes their ecosystem. And then they're like, we, 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 to feel better about our own consciousness, are like, um, save them because we destroyed them. So 
Maybe there's something there. I just, I also read this study, which I'm sorry, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop being mean to manatees in a couple yeah, seconds. At some point you should stop judging them. I, I feel like I'm holding cool. it down on behalf of the manatees. <laughs> I, I do think they're cool and we'll talk about that. Um, but there is another thing that I heard, which is something cool about manatees, but also framed in a way that I think shows the way in which we think about them, Okay, which is manatees have the lowest brain to body ratio of any marine mammal. Wow. How'd you find that out? It was in the study that I read, which. Oh, cool. But it was the first sentence in a longer paragraph, which is kind of interesting, which is despite manatees having the lowest brain to body ratio of any marine mammal, they can be as adept at experimental tasks as dolphins, which are one of the smartest animals on the planet. Hmm. In what way? Did it go on to say more about how they do that? So they seem to have some sort of unique physiology brain organization that allow and sensory abilities, which allows them to do these kinds of things. So they have a developed, highly developed sense of touch um, Hmm. because of the, those little whiskers that they have. So cute. Which are like cute, but also I guess useful in (laughs) sensing things. And somehow that the way that its brain has the way that manatees brains have developed allows them to do these kinds of tasks that we like to have dolphins do for shows and things like that. Interesting. And you, it sounded like you were making some connection between that and how we as humans view them. It's like these. there's a contradiction in manatees that I'm really interested to dig into. Hmm. How Do you want to name it? I think it's that. They can <laughs> do stuff that's really cool, but it's almost everything is understated. So even though they have small brains, we don't think about them as smart. Smart animals. Mm. They can do really smart things. Even though they're like kind of lazy, it seems. I'm making some judgments here. But they have figured out how to utilize schools of fish to easily find grass. Even though they're not that adaptable to different environments, they've found a way to glom onto kind of the bad behavior of humans to find something that's akin to a hot spring. Yep. And there's some other like things that we can get into in like sneaky ways that even though they're kind of not that talented at things, they (laughs) somehow magically are surviving using tools that other animals really don't. Right. I mean, we were talking about hummingbirds in our last episode, and I think we mentioned there's like 300 species of hummingbirds, and they don't live very long. Each individual one lives like like three years or so, and they're just like constantly working. The manatees are like the absolute opposite. They live like 40 to 60 years, and there's basically three species around the world of manatees. So one of the reasons to get to your earlier point about like, why would we talk about the manatees is that they seem to actually be doing pretty well despite their environmental destruction at surviving a pretty long time and, you know, finding their main like species ways of expressing themselves, right? Which actually also reminds me, I think I read somewhere, Kari, that the closest living relative to the manatee do you know what it is no it's the elephant oh i love elephants i know they (laughs) share some mutual relative of some sort which i think is going back to maybe your brain thing obviously i know nothing about manatee brains but 
I wonder about like that branch off from species because we really associate elephants with being really smart, I think. So it's also kind of unfair to judge the intelligence of an animal based on the brain to body ratio, especially when their (laughs) bodies are so big. That's very, very true. Okay. What other tidbits about manatees do we want to name before we figure out what we can learn from them? Uh, Maybe just one other kind of interesting thing, which is the three species of manatees belong to the scientific order Sirenia, Mm. as in like a siren, the root of the word siren. And so we haven't really talked about this in the past, but there's this whole halo effect thing that happens with humans, you know, where beautiful people get all sorts of amazing things attributed to them that maybe they didn't deserve. And (laughs) Uh I I thought you were going to stop judging the manatees. I know what's coming next. Well, (laughs) there's this thing. I mean, a siren, right, is literally a beautiful creature that lures sailors into treacherous places, right? And they its voice, right? Right, through mesmerizing songs. Right. And And the manatees are known for their vocalizations. They do seem to use like chirping and squeaking and making sounds to interact with each other and almost other animals, it seems like, too. So I'm curious to dig into it because even though it's not a very uh, becoming truth of humans, we do seem to be swayed by the cuteness factor of things. And that might be a thing that's going on with the manatees. Great. You know, in the past, we have talked about sort of their social organization. We haven't mentioned that for manatees yet. So I just want to like drop a few bits of information there. And I don't know if we'll make anything of it, but largely manatees are solitary creatures. They can also be social. For example, like if they're cold, <laughs> they'll be like, hey, manatee buddy. Or maybe they just say, hey, man, a tea. And then <laughs> they cuddle up. Okay. No, they, they get closer together and kind of group and they use each other for warmth. I think during mating seasons, they exhibit slightly different social behaviors, which kind of makes sense. They eventually need to come together. But for the most part, these manatees are like pretty down to be on their own roaming or not roaming, just kind of hanging out. Uh, pretty solo. So I wanted to name that. I also just, there was something in my research that came up that I thought was interesting in contrast to hummingbirds who can kind of be cooperative when there's abundance. Manatees seem to be the opposite, that they're more likely to come together when resources are scarce, which Mm. is a kind of an interesting thing. Again, maybe, maybe there's something there, maybe there isn't, but, and they, they also do play some, they're playful. Maybe another reason that humans like them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to be incredibly safe to what do, you do mean? it. Like they have to feel oh. very safe. <laughs> very. Right. I don't know if scientists are testing the feeling of safety, but I guess the observation is like if the water is calm and the food is plentiful, right. right, then there's play that happens, which I super relate to. Yeah, that play is not a way you get calm. Play is something accessible when you're regulated and right. feeling. In contrast peace. to the wolves, right, that use play as kind of a regulating technique, especially right. when tension is high. Manatees seem to be kind of on a different wavelength. Great. I have to ask, Kari, because you, before we started recording, you've mentioned this story to me about 
the manatees that might be a good transition into what we can learn about them. And it has to do with manatees breathing and not breathing effectively. Will you tell us about this ridiculous story <laughs> and what we can, what leaders can learn from manatees from it? Yeah, <laughs> we'll tell you the story. Because okay, it is friend. maybe one of my favorite things to now tell people at a party. <laughs> it's definitely elevated my dinner party game. <laughs> okay, so a couple of different things. One, manatees can hold their breath for up to 20 minutes underwater, but they have to breathe air. Uh, right. So they have to come to the surface and breathe. That's a thing that happens. Um, they have hemi diaphragms. So whereas mm-hmm. when humans are diving, for example, in a breath, we can replace about 10% of the air in our lungs. Manatees can replace 90% of the air in their lungs. So they're cool. they're quite adapted for breathing in this like underwater land kind of thing. So, but there's this thing that is kind of interesting the story that I told you, which is sometimes manatees get hurt. And because the humans love them so much, so much. they <laughs> lift these giant sea cows out of the water and put them in dry swimming pools, basically, so that they can be like doctors to them, right? Like right. fix fix whatever rotation. Yeah. Do some manatee surgery or, you know, yeah, rehab. Right. And it's hard to do that underwater. So they do it on land. Okay. But even though manatees can totally breathe air, right? They are air breathing manatees. This is very important. (laughs) (laughs) They will not breathe on land where there is no water. They will actually suffocate when they're in the air only, unless, and somehow these beautiful siren creatures have figured out how to enroll humans every few minutes to pour a bucket of water on them to trigger them to breathe. (laughs) I love this so much. So there's a manatee in the pool. It's an empty pool. Like it's basically a giant bucket that a thousand pound (laughs) creature is in. The humans are trying to save them or help them in some way. Meanwhile, there's someone on the side, I'm imagining, of the manatee whose entire job is like, Pouring water on the manatee's face so that it remembers, in fact, it is alive and it should breathe. Yep. <laughs> they, if that's not inspiring <laughs> leadership, I don't know what is. It's like, I'm actually no longer going to even breathe on my own. I need someone to <laughs> facilitate that for me. I mean, these manatees, I think this is, this is maybe the joke I was making earlier, and I'm not actually sure if it's a joke or not, but... You know, I think about leaders are pretty good delegators if they ask someone to, I don't know, like clean the office or carry out a task that they've set strategy for, blah, 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 right? We think about these sorts of delegation, but never have I ever in my life met a leader that was so talented that they could delegate their breathing to someone (laughs) on their team. Like if we can aspire to be as good at delegating as manatees, the sky is the limit. They do seem to have a special talent of forming alliances with other species that I'm not sure are mutually beneficial, right? I think that they were, right. they are just forming alliances that are singularly beneficial, but everyone seems fine with it. Like, right. it's cool. You know, we were talking about the hummingbirds and the orchid, like the orchid and the hummingbird kind of co-evolved. I don't think that's what's going on with the manatee alliances it feels more like a manatee is a nonprofit that somehow has convinced a bunch of animals to give it money without 
any form of impact statement afterwards and no shade on nonprofits. I I mean this with awe and reverence that their ability to find another animal to then help them out with something. They do this also with, you mentioned with the fish, finding some of the um, Mm -hmm. sea kelp stuff. Also with like cleaner fish, getting parasites off of them. (laughs) Delicious. Love that. I think they also like partner with dolphins in some way to help protect them from predators. Because, you know, just like, I think the learning here is not only delegate, but also form diverse and strategic alliances that maybe uh, lead to your success in asymmetrical ways. Sounds like a very strategic path forward. Right. And you would you would expect to see something like this in like a super predator, right? Where where right. there's like fear the top of the food at the end chain. of it, right? Which is like, help me or I'll eat you, right? But the manatee is like, help me out of the goodness of your heart and I will give you nothing in return. And then all of the animals are raising their little fins and they're like, I'll help you. And the Pick humans me. are like bending over backwards, to like raise money and create sanctuaries and like build little springs for them. I mean, you're so right. And they really offer almost nothing in return other than being cute and docile. Okay, hold on. That is, I know I started it, but nothing in return. Let's get real about another leadership learning. I think about manatees, besides that they're excellent delegators, which is that manatees are actually really good, non-aggressive enablers of other things to happen. So... One of the things they do, because they live in kind of like shallow, ideally warmer waters that are relatively still, these often look like kind of tributaries or little outlets of water with a lot of vegetation. They will eat the vegetation because they eat a lot of it. These are a thousand plus creatures. Imagine how much vegetation you have to eat. They'll eat the vegetation. And then what happens is that the that kind of creates these channels for water flow to go mm-hmm. through. And that in and of itself enables a bunch of other creatures to live in that ecosystem because it's not so densely populated with vegetation and like too much algae growth and things like that. So if I apply this to leadership, I think there's a beautiful giving that is non-obvious from manatees that's worth emulating, which is mainly that I think leaders can actually create paths where new information or resources can flow that you literally only know exist after the person has done that, right? Like we don't see the manatee doing that necessarily. We just see the consequences of it having done that. Mm. And it, I think that's actually a very powerful leadership lesson. If I may, it reminds me of um, someone I used to work with who I think was really exemplary in this area. I'll tell a quick story. So she was uh, in charge of leading fundraising, speaking of which, for a nonprofit. And it was a pretty big nonprofit. So it had like a pretty solid, big uh, operating budget. We're not talking like a million a year, like in the tens of millions, which is like a huge job. Mm -hmm. Because in order for the organization to have impact, obviously it needed funding to then like hire, in this case, like mostly product and technical teams to build things that then, you know, served the mission. So this person ultimately was responsible for like everyone's paycheck. And yet, if I asked like who in the company is a leader, most people would think who's out front, right? Or in the wolf terms, like maybe there's a really specific person in the back that they like, that person's actually leading the show, but mm-hmm. just we don't know it. This is a different type of like 
kind of underwater leadership, literally, that I think is really beautiful because without her work of kind of like finding the vegetation for everyone else to like be able to operate, the paths wouldn't have been possible for the work to happen. Mm. So let's not just assume they're not giving anything back. I think they're probably giving back in ways that are non-obvious or that are really about like the ecosystem's overall health, but it are hard to attribute to the creature itself. Yeah, I like that perspective because when you first said it, what I was thinking of is like, oh, so they just relieve all of the wealthy donors of their money. (laughs) And then you get to say something like, oh, I helped the manatees, right? There's like a, there's a a benefit to people, but it's this sort of non-tangible benefit. Mm -hmm. But what I really like about what you said is actually one of the keys to great leadership. And I, I see this in startups being something that leaders don't think enough about, which is removing obstacles and clearing Mm -hmm. paths and especially clearing paths in a really consistent way. I think Mm -hmm. startups love in general, I'm going to overgeneralize here, but to kind of do these sweeping heroic gestures um, but maybe sometimes forget to do the the daily culling of the seagrass so mm-hmm. that there is space for kind of a natural flow to occur. That does yep. seem like, yeah, I like that manatee energy for a leadership lesson. I think there's also, you know, we're not associating manatees with like innovation or speed or some of the, or like pack collaboration that we've explored with the wolves and the hummingbirds so far. I think there's another element for the manatees, which is like around kind of a steady, patient, Mm -hmm. predictable, kind of like what you're describing, non-reactionary chillness that I think is extremely hard to find in startups, but also just hard to emulate as a person. That like kind of steadiness and that rockness, I think that's a powerful quality for a leader to have on a team is despite the tumultuous nature of whatever might be going on for someone to continually show up and just be like, yeah. And in three to five minutes, we'll need to pick ourselves up and breathe. (laughs) And then we will like to kind of have that steady beat. You know, it's interesting. We haven't talked much about this yet. We're only three animals in. uh, So maybe we'll get into it more as we discover more animals and their superpowers. But I don't think that we're suggesting that leaders pick an animal and then become just one animal in the way that they lead, right? We're thinking about like, what does it look like to grab the co-evolution from hummingbirds, the pack mentality of wolves, and especially as leaders move probably into a series B, series C, series D, how do I call in more and more manatee? It's a right, very different invitation than what I have seen in growth stage startups, for sure. Hmm. What is it? Would you say more about your observation? Help unpack that more? Yeah, I mean, there's a way in which seed, pre-seed series A is like, do I exist? <laughs> <laughs> right? And there's a way in which B, C becomes, I exist and must get very big, very fast which mm-hmm. sort of has some manatee energy in, the, <laughs> in a really literal sense. But to me, usually it means like, I mean, we equate it with like getting on a rocket ship and like bending the hockey stick and like things that mm-hmm. tend to not be actually about steady state. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we've got this 
idea of like, you have to kind of innovate or differentiate or die that we've been talking about a little bit, like it's not quite the vibes of a manatee. So I think it's a, my experience in both A and B and C stage startups is that it doesn't feel like calm, steady, Mm. predictable. It feels like the opposite of that, which maybe is part of your invitation, Kari, which is like, what would it be like to bring 5% more manatee energy as opposed to like, you have to just fully embody a manatee? It makes me think a little bit about the nest building you were talking about with hummingbirds and mm. that they're both focused on right now, but also with an eye to the future, which in hummingbird terms is like next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I think our early stage startup founders, I really feel hummingbird from them, right? There's a lot of like, we're moving fast. We're like constantly going from flower to flower. We're in survival mode all the time. Dive bomb, dive bomb, dive bomb. <laughs> exactly. But manatees can live up to 60 years years old, right? Not like three or four years old, like, like hummingbirds. And so even if you are in the survival stress in the early stages of a company saying like, will we be around at the end of this year or the end of this quarter, uh, you know, starting to call in manatee energy is what does it look like to IPO? What does it look like actually to grow the company in a way that is sustained over decades? Uh, it's a really different kind of aim. I have a mea culpa on both of our behalves. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that so far, we've really been, I think, biased towards startups. It makes sense. That's kind of, we work in that realm. You've built your own company, done a startup. I have like 18 side projects all the time that are like miniature (laughs) startups. So we have that bias. But I actually think that obviously, this is an obvious statement, leaders don't just work at startups, right? (laughs) Right. Leaders also don't just work at giant tech companies. Leaders work all around us. Leaders are inside family systems, not just like in professional contexts. So here's another lesson that I, when I was reflecting on manatees that I wanted to name, which is that if the, so the mea culpa first, our apologies on both of our behalves, (laughs) (laughs) that of course, we're not just talking about startups. And if hummingbirds are the icon for startups, then I think that manatees are the icon for lifestyle businesses. Because I think lifestyle businesses get kind of a bad rap, especially in like kind of hustle culture, fast pace, grow, 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 super capitalistic, like kind of environments. And there's like nothing wrong with leading a really good, solid lifestyle business. Manatees can live, like you're saying, for 60 years. A really good lifestyle business can outlast every crazy startup spike and fall and combustion like over and over again. So to me, the manatees also represent the decision mm. or the intentionality to say, what are my values in mm-hmm. my own leadership? Do I want to be in a VC-backed startup life? Do I want to be in a lifestyle business? Do I want to work in a ginormous company that has some, you know, it's unlikely to die out next year, but also might have a lot more structure, a lot more mentorship, a lot more bureaucracy, you know, like, what do you want? And all of those places have amazing opportunities to exercise and grow and learn who you are as a leader. Shout out to the manatees for being the lifestyle business of the animal kingdom. (laughs) 
when you just said that, I had this sort of warm feeling inside where I was like, oh, mm. I actually do feel a little kindred with the manatee. Um, oh, wow. Having been a person who has turned down investment in my company for that reason and saying like, I actually want to build slow. Yeah. I actually want to build the way that I want to. I want to hang out in 68 degree wet water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and in a way that if times get tough, right, in a lifestyle business, we can go down to zero mm-hmm. and survive, right? We can, we can just pay our people and cover expenses and still survive. And in a startup, if you're not 3x, 10x constantly, even if the business is really great, you, you die. It's closer to the hummingbird world, right? Where it's like, you really only have an hour before you're dead. Totally. So even though it's like more glamorous and your feathers are really iridescent and pretty, uh, and maybe it's like not as flashy to be a manatee, like there, there's something to be said for kind of slow and steady. For sure. It certainly does not feel like a hockey stick or look like one either. It looks more like a hockey blob. (laughs) Puck. That's not moving. A really big, squishy hockey puck. What is hockey puck growth? It's just like, (laughs) it's maybe just kind of going back and forth, but not really moving anywhere at the same time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. What else can leaders learn from the manatees? Kari, you got anything else? Honestly, I already have my mind so blown from all of the things that I feel like we're learning from manatees. Mm. You know, I really, I, I had that, that thought around manatees being delegators, which I think is, especially for me, something that's really important, which is also, and I think personally, one of my struggles with this is like, am I worth other people supporting, right? My Mm. personal worth gets stuck in the way. Mm. And sometimes I just think about the manatees, which are like, yeah, dolphins protect me. Like <laughs> I'm worth it. <laughs> like, yeah, humans, I'll take your sanctuary. Like, mm. thanks fish. I'm going to eat the seagrass on your tails. Right. Uh, and like that kind of like steady, quiet confidence is something mm-hmm. that I have trouble accessing. And so I think there's like in my moment, it's like calling in manatee energy there feels like a, like a pretty important lesson. Yeah. That in- I'm inspired by what you just said, because I, definitely appear to the external eye as more hummingbird than manatee. And I think you're reminding me that there's a way in which manatees not only know how to delegate, but they know how to receive. Yeah. Beautiful. That I think is powerful and can bring up those questions of, am I worthy of receipt of someone pouring water all over my head so that I can (laughs) breathe? But in human terms, I think what that looks like is like seeing leaders as just as human and worthy of taking care of themselves, being taken care of by other people, recognizing when they're literally underwater and cannot breathe, recognizing when they're above water and think they cannot breathe, but someone needs to splash water in their face and say, you're okay, like pick your head up, right? And there's a way in which many leaders that I work with kind of don't give themselves the, the human compassion to see themselves Mm -hmm. as deserving of that so Mm -hmm. they don't even they never make the ask but even if someone does it for them they can't necessarily receive it with fullness or grace or a sense of like yeah I deserve this I'm worthy of 
chilling in the 68 degree water. Yeah, I really love that as a as an emblem of self-care and and care from others, right? It's not just a solitary endeavor. Yeah. There's another thing that I'm picking up on through our conversation about manatees is that even though I said they're not great at adapting, <laughs> which is kind of true, but they also have maybe more than almost any other animal, maybe other than the panda bear, which I think also has <laughs> become, like, captured the imaginations of humans uh, in a really cute way. But they have figured out how to play on human emotions and almost like this, like they have a good brand somehow, right? <laughs> they have a really, really, really good brand. And they use very little social media as far as I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they just delegate that to other people who take a lot of pictures of them. <laughs> That's but really true. There's this kind of amazing thing, which is like, instead of saying like, ah, they all destroyed our environment. Like, what are we going to do? They said, well, we'll go where there are electrical plants, right? You took away our springs. Here we are near your electrical plants. Or like, yes, we do need your sanctuary. And they're they're almost like playing a very modern game mm. uh, to, to survive. You know, I think actually more similar to something like squirrels and deer, which we think of, or raccoons, mm. which we think of as very adaptable, right? And able right. to live, kind of cohabitate with humans. But we also are, have like a bad impression of them or many of us are like, oh, they're such annoying pests to eat our gardens. Right. So how did the manatees somehow do the same thing as squirrels and raccoons, but people still love them? It's incredible. This, someone must have done their PhD on how the manatees <laughs> reputation precedes it. Yes. But it is kind of incredible. And I, what do you think it says about humans that we have these labels also that we put on these animals, even for the exact same behavior. I don't think it says anything good. <laughs> well, it did trigger. I, I think I was listening to a Freakonomics podcast years and years and years ago. And the the point of the of the story at that moment was around what humans are attracted to. And they hmm. were using car sales as an example of why humans like things that look like babies. Right. They have those big eyes on the as the lights at the front of the car. Yeah, exactly. So I bought a Fiat, which is probably like so the cutest cute. of all of the cars. It's like it's like the manatee of cars. <laughs> sort of, except it's like the tiniest one. It's small. It is small, but very cute. Maybe it's like a bush baby or something. Aww. But when I listened to that podcast, I was like, oh my God, humans are hardwired to right. take care of babies. And big eyes and things yeah. that feel squishy. So if there's like fleshy. a squishy, big-eyed thing, humans can't, we cannot help ourselves. It's like in our DNA to care for it and like make sure it survives. Yeah. And I think that manatees are playing right into that. And who's to say that there wasn't so co some co-evolution between Fair. their cute faces and our unsatiable desire to care for babies? It's true. I once went on a little like tour uh, for at a manatee sanctuary, which I have to say was not, I think, as impactful as your Wolf Haven story. But the ooing, awing, cooing, and just general like, I don't care that I'm in the boat. I'm going to jump out of the boat <laughs> instincts <laughs> that the humans had were a sight to behold, for sure. So I think you're right. 
Um, Natalie, as we kind of come to the end here, what are your major takeaways about manatees and what we can learn from them? Besides the you know most obvious takeaway, which is that you are extremely judgmental, but you've come around <laughs> and I appreciate your open-mindedness. Thank you. I think we, for me, the manatees represent a choice and leaders making an intentional choice about how they want to live and what's important to them. And also to particularly like choosing some sort of nonviolent way of being, because as much as it's easy to judge them for what we might term lazy or not really progressing, they're also not very harmful, right? They don't have this sort of like, they don't have serrated beaks, right? (laughs) And they're not kind of aiming to scavenge or tear things up around them. In fact, they're indicator species that their ecosystem is doing okay. And so I think my takeaway is, Make the choice if you're a leader about what's most important to you. And also be an indicator for your team around you that information can flow, Mm. that you're an enabler, and that you can be kind of a signal that the health of your ecosystem is present. Yeah, that's beautiful. I was thinking about their whiskers again, right? And how sensitive they are. <laughs> and just, they, here I am just thinking about the manatee's whiskers in bed. I can yeah, see it. <laughs> you know. But they do, they grow up with this manatees grow up with this sort of sensitivity to touch, right? And and their whiskers are a way that they know what's going on around them. And I think sometimes leaders do try and power through or be the strongest, right? Like be the wolf or be the cheetah. Uh and instead override their own sensitivity to what's around them. But chances are like the manatees being an indicator species, if they're feeling something, if you're feeling something as a leader, likely that's reverberating out on your team somewhere and skipping over that sensitivity might not serve your organization. Mind your whiskers leaders. Mind Mind your whiskers. (laughs) All right, Kari, let's wrap up here. Thank you so much for this excellent debrief of manatees and we will see you all or rather you'll hear us on the next episode. Thanks for joining this week's show. Thank you to everyone who helped make this season of Instinct possible. Our amazing Kickstarter funders, the team at Supermix who help make sure that this show sounds profesh, John Rossfels for producing our theme music. If you want any more deets on us, the podcast, or past episodes, please visit us at instinctpodcast.com. There you can leave us a note or a review, or you can tell us that we totally messed something up. Or maybe even more importantly, you can tell us if we missed something juicy about this week's animal that we should have touched on. We'd love to hear from you. If you liked this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. (laughs) 